stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! It again. No double team help, and B takes it right to the rack. And B step back, Joker. going on everybody it is the feed to mb the sixers have just been eliminated from the playoffs by way of the miami heat and one jimmy butler i have a pal this morning dave early of liberty ballers uh covers the nets as well for clutch points um dave how are you doing today sir i'm all right man good to be here thanks for having me no problem. You can't really seem to get a normal basketball team. You have the Nets on one hand, uh, who have their own set of laundry list of issues. And then you have the Sixers, who you are a fan of and uh, write about for Liberty Ballers. And they also have their own set of issues. Do we just, it, I guess the, the idea is just to move to Oklahoma City where there's nothing that really matters. And no stress, just easy. See you next year. Every it year. was, it was so weird. You know, I would uh, once in a while I would like explain to someone who wasn't a fan, like I would tell my mom what I'm doing, covering these two teams, and she'd ask these questions. She'd be like, "Wait, so the one with the vaccines is, uh, and so the one with the mental health is now going to the Nets?" And uh, sometimes it felt like this crazy overlap of storylines with Harden and Simmons and guys not playing and people figuring out if they're really hurt or if they're not really hurt. Yeah. We, in, in, in the latest trend in the NBA is, is player X actually hurt or is he faking it? <laughs> it I've never seen that as like such a big storyline as this season. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been wild. So Sixers go down in six to the Miami heat. Um, at, what I can say is at least this year, you don't have to like pour raw vodka into the wound of, <laughs> of, of losing the way that they lost last year. Um, you, you, you know, they, Joel gets hurt. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 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 he misses the first two games. I mean, I, I think this series, in deep, you know, I got to give credit to the Heat because they – straight up balled out and Jimmy was phenomenal, but you do have to give some context and that the Sixers essentially uh, one way or another spotted them a two game lead because, but, but by no, by no fault of Miami's by no fault of the Sixers, it is what it is, but that is a reality that the Sixers uh, did not have Joel Embiid to start the first two games of the series. Uh, and when he comes back, they're already down 2-0 and, you know, with him uh, right right now, it would be I think a, a, it, assuming he were, you know, assuming that you know the series started in Game Three, it would be two two right now instead of you know yeah, it would be two to two with Joel in the lineup. And when I hear like some of some of the narratives that come out of a series, just tend to feel overblown. Like yes, the Sixers have these rotational problems, and yes, the Heat have been really, really good at mining for talent. Where do they come up with these guys like Struess and Vincent who really hurt the Sixers? But on the other hand, I just like to ask myself, like if, if 
Embiid was healthy and Harden had a fine hamstring and Bam had a torn thumb and a broken face and Jimmy Butler had a hamstring. The Sixers win that series. We don't have all these narratives about mental toughness and the end of bench rotations. So, you know, I don't want to suggest the Sixers don't have a lot of work cut out for them this offseason, but things could look a lot different if the health factor, which is relatively arbitrary and random at times, went the other way. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we, we can sit here and say, well, it's something else with Joel every year. And in some regards, that is true. I mean, literally, he has had an injury. That's fair. In, in nearly every playoff uh, that he's played. But at the same time, he can't control the fact that he ran that he broke his face on Markel Fultz's shoulder. He get, breaks his face again on uh, Pascal Siakam's elbow um, and gets a concussion. I mean, you rarely ever hear of an orbital fracture, certainly in the NBA. Let's try, let's try one guy getting the same bone on different sides of the face broken twice right before a playoff run. Started. I think he did one in Kansas too. So ah, you never hear about it. And he's done it three times. <laughs> ah, so there you go. So the same guy struck by lightning three times. Um, and, you know, and, but, so, and you know, some of those things just, they sim like, like we can point to the conditioning, like the 2019 when his knee was bothering him and the conditioning was an issue or, you know, last year he goes, you know, a little too aggressively and tears his meniscus, even though that in itself isn't really his fault. Um, it is fair to say that there is an injury coinciding with all of his playoff runs that hinders him in some way and, you know, hurts hurts the team when all is said and done. And he still had dominant moments against the Hawks last year. Um, and he still changed the series in this this season against the Heat in the first in, in the two games he was back. But um you know I I, I think that is a storyline that people will neglect but looms large over the outcome of this series. Um, but that doesn't excuse what happened in game five, game six. Just from my understanding, talking to the other beat writers who went on the road, Joel was moping around in Miami. You know, he was sort of a little bit like disengaged. I think maybe some of that has to do with he got hit in the face and maybe was a little bit flustered or scared to get too involved because he didn't want to risk further injury after he got hit in the face with the ball and was like writhing in pain. Um, but as a team, um, they just were listless. After, I mean, they tie the series 2-2. They have two emotional wins in Philly. And I was ready to say, like, I think they can win the series. I think they can win four straight. Um, I still don't think the Heat are that great. Uh, but they are very tough mentally. And they came out with an edge in game five and in game six. And the Sixers just were listless and did not punch back. And I think that is as problematic as anything else that could have happened in the series. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I waffle on this one. Um, I can think of you mean you mean like general lack of energy and spirit and some of the things that players talk about in their exit. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that they play like a team that, for no reason at all, gave up and was like, "We're gonna get hit in the face. We're gonna come down, and we're just gonna play dead, and then wait till it's all over." Like it wasn't like they were down three to one, or it wasn't like they were down, you know, three zero. It was it was tied up two two heading back to Miami, and they inexplicably just gave up. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't have much to say on that. I just feel like if if Embiid was a hundred percent, 
they would have had a really good chance to win that series. And when it was obvious that he was closer to like 50%, I just didn't think they had a prayer. And then I don't know how you would explain Harden's game seven, but it was weird, man. I, I'm hoping that his hamstring tightened up because if he was just as healthy as he was on Friday when he went berserk, something's something's going on there and the Sixers have a bigger problem like – you know, it, what, it, what, was the, what is the alternative explanation that he just didn't want the ball and didn't even want to play point guard? So some, some definitely scary things moving forward. I think it was uh, Trill Bro dude who said the other day, like, there's something about this team that made you think they were, like, destined to fold at some point. Yeah, you know, I didn't feel like that. I thought they were actually a little somewhat battle tested in that they dealt with the Ben thing for most of the year and like stayed resilient, stayed together, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we're, we're led by Joel and they battled through COVID stuff as, as every many teams did. Um, they battled with the Raptors and that, you know, the adversity of losing those two games and then Joel gets hurt with the hand. Um, I, I think like we'll, we'll get into Harden more, but I think like my big concern is now and was when when they just inexplicably said, okay, we're good. We won two games. We'll see you next year. Um, what is Doc saying in those timeouts? Because I asked Doc uh, before the playoffs started, you know, given like Willie Green's speech to the Pelicans when they were fighting for the playoff spot uh, during the game and he was mic'd up, you know, is, is, timeout or timeouts in the playoffs more to make adjustments and or are they more to reinvigorate your team and play to the emotional side and he said to play to the emotional side so he's calling timeouts throughout both games trying to pour water on the fire uh, and get and wake his team up and they're just not responding to that ostensibly um, if what he said about timeouts is true so my question to them after the game was did Doc motivate you enough um, or was his message falling on deaf ears? And Joel kind of poo-pooed it and was like, uh, look at the roster, not the front office and coaching. Is that yeah. That yeah. He was like, if we have to, we, we need to be motivated by ourselves. It's our job. Um, yeah. And you know, like, that's the diplomatic and probably in, in, in most respects, probably truthful answer. But uh, I think that is very concerning to see that Doc could not, get his guys to, to to turn the motors on. And more than that, I think it is pretty damning about their mental toughness that after 82-game season and all of this hype and hope and, you know, you, you play all year and travel and compete at the highest level to put yourself self in a position to have a chance at, the, at biting the apple and you just don't want to fight for it in, in, in the middle of the second round. Um and I mean, the heat may be tougher than you mentally and physically, but that doesn't excuse or explain the fact that you literally just rolled over and died uh, in game five and game six. Um, and I don't know what that means going forward, because no matter how you shape shift the roster around Joel and around Harden and around Tyrese, if 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 one or two of those pillars or three of those pillars are not mentally fit to you know make a charge in the playoffs none of it really matters and there's no real 
the ceiling is where it's always been with this team. Yeah, my instinct on these topics is generally to go with, I think, uh, in-game emotional recharge is probably overrated. Um, you know, if I had my the coach of my dreams on that sideline and we mic'd him up for these moments, if you went back and listened to Greg Popovich's in-game things, we'd probably find a lot of moments that didn't feel like they were exactly, you know, Emmy, you know, Emmy worthy or Oscar worthy. And so a lot of it is largely player motivated. But if you have a system in place where you can get a get through a clear message, that that changes it. So I would say that the like the emotional lift factor of Doc's in-game timeouts isn't that high on my list, but it is probably indicative of a pattern of his, which is underachieving once the playoffs are here, maybe overachieving for the regular season and underachieving by playoffs, similar to what we might say of a Tom Thibodeau. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I think that's certainly fair. Um, but I also think that like we can continue to pin the coach. Like Brett Brown was pinned. Uh, Doc is being pinned. We'll see how long he lasts, but the variable, I mean, the, the constant in all of this is 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 the core of the team with Tobias and Joel, and you know the jury's out on Maxi still. He was he played very well at times in these playoffs, and James Harden, who has a a, a very uh, uninspiring playoff resume, but at the core of it, you can change the coach as many times as you want. If you don't have uh, players that are mentally tough, it doesn't really matter who your coach is, and. The scary part is I don't know how you just suddenly get mentally tougher. Like, I don't know if it's like you get hit in the face enough time to get tired of it and you say, I'm going to go out and punch back or you, you learn from, you learn from the situation or what you, or you do something in the off season. I don't know what that looks like, but it could also just be an eight and they may not, they just may not have the personnel to fire through and power through the grind of, of, of an onerous playoff series, um, which is not something that we're going to know about uh, until, you know, all is said and done and the story is written on this era and on Joel and on this team. Yeah. I find the, uh, the mental toughness stuff fair. I know a lot of the players talked about it in the post game. I, when I hear that stuff, I worry that the front office would look to address that stuff directly. And then I worry that you're asking the wrong questions rather than getting the best player available for two or $3 million. Are you trying to get the, the best mental tough player and maybe costing yourself more talent? Cause I think if the Sixers were healthy and they won that series, no one would question their mental toughness, even if it was exactly the same. So mm. I think it's more of something we apply to eliminated teams and say they lacked it. Not to not to imply that he aren't mentally tougher. Like if you're choosing between PJ Tucker and Bobby Portis and Furkan Korkmaz, it, it makes sense to go for the tough player. But that, those are also probably better fits for the Sixers as well. Yeah, so, you also made, you also make a good point. Like you say, like like are you are you asking the right questions in your evaluation? In other words, are you picking the the best players that fit your team? For two to three million, are you mining the cost-effective pile of scraps, or are you trying to find guys that may not fit the bill, but they fit the mental profile? In which case, 
like you're not really solving any problems. And at the end of the day, part of mental toughness can be this, the ultimate, you know, you know Joel wakes up or whoever wakes up in, 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 you know, Tobias wakes up or whichever player you want to name wakes up in, in on the morning of game five or game six and says, you know what? We just don't have the personnel to do this. Yeah. And, you, know, you just give in. The, you know, I saw, was it Philly tradesman on Twitter was saying like, what about like a, a couple guys who went undrafted and then maybe suffered through the G League and it, you get that like Australian Shepherds, don't they say they look for like the runt of the litter because they're the ones who had to survive through the most things and they've got the most dog in them? Yeah. Um, but if you're picking someone like that over someone who's really good, for example, it, you know, last year, Daramore found Andre Drummond for a really cheap price. You wouldn't have picked him based on his his mental toughness and his history with demonstrating that in playoff battles, like you would have PJ Tucker, but I wouldn't want to miss out on that guy either for, right. you know, a G league tough guy, because that guy's not going to crack my eight or nine man rotation in the playoffs. So you want tough, but you, you want to ask the right questions. I think doc rivers made the mistake a few times this year of asking the wrong questions. Like I think he asked himself, who's my most experienced big, who's going to get me a defensive rebound and who's my best role man. His answer to that question was pretty clearly DeAndre Jordan, but we thought he should have been asking who's the best player to put out there when Joel sits, period, all things considered. Defense, offense, fouls, you know? And so if you ask the wrong questions, you're going to get the wrong player. I agree. That's a great point. I agree. Um, I agree totally with that. So, you know, now they're left in a situation where, you know, the, 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 they're, they're questioning Doc's future and they're questioning Harden's future. I think to put it all on Doc is to sort of excuse or ignore or, you know, gloss over the fact that your six, your ostensible six man, George Niang, was six of 28 from three and was unplayable on the defensive end of the court. And so, you know, you were like, having to vacillate between giving him minutes and letting him sit there because you couldn't afford to, to let him defend, but you also needed shooting out there on the court to give space for Joel. So that's a problem. Um, and then, you know, beyond Niang, it was, it was a black hole on the bench. He had Sheik who was good for game six, but Matisse is unplayable in the inverse way of, of Niang really good on de- you know, pretty good on defense, unplayable on offense. Mm-hmm. And then, Beyond that, you know, you have you had flawed roster construction in that you were a little bit thin in terms of um, you know size outside of the starting five. Uh, you weren't athletic enough to to really battle on defense and 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 make rotations and not be crisp in every sense of the word. Um, and it also pardons the players for not coming out and playing. So I don't know that I can blame doc for all of this. I think he ultimately did a lot of good things. I think he outcoached Nick nurse pretty thoroughly in the first round. Um, and I didn't think like he was by most stretches of the imagination, bad again, against the heat. Like people were, were mad about him starting Deandre Jordan. Sure. We all knew what was going to happen. And yeah, you could make a case for starting Paul Reed. At the end of the day, if it's not Joel, that you're starting, you don't have Joel. You're just picking a, picking things out of a hat and hoping for the best. Yeah, if I thought that Doc Rivers was the best 
possible coach the Sixers could have for 2023, 24, and 25, I could come up with a million reasons why he should he doesn't deserve to be fired. And they were the one C they overachieved last year. Joel never tore his meniscus. Um, they would have been in the conference finals even with Ben Simmons missing his free throws and not wanting the ball. And if he could have done more to empower Simmons, you know, maybe stagger his minutes with Embiid and surround him with shooters like Daryl Morey was kind of beckoning him to throughout the regular season, uh, I think they could have potentially won the conference finals. And this season, yeah, I mean, he had the best player in the league and he deserves credit for that. Joel took a leap under him in back-to-back years. We could wonder, like, well, would 15 other coaches have seen a similar leap because it was Joel's first healthy offseason in 2020-2021 coming in? But you also got to give him credit for deploying him at the elbows and helping him see his shooters. I know Daryl Moore played a factor in that by bringing in Green and Seth. At the end of the day, I don't believe he's the best coach, and I don't think – that they couldn't upgrade if they tried. You know, if, if Daryl Morey hit the market and found a guy that says, this person is going to work with me. He's spoken pretty publicly on podcasts saying, like, you need a coach who's going to be willing to work with the front office and be fluid and push back when they want, but also be open-minded. And you don't get the sense that the interplay between them is that effective right now. If Maury brings on a Dwight Howard and says he's one of the tools you can use, but we also want to see how it looks with small ball. You don't see that. When he brings in DeAndre Jordan, he's probably not thinking, okay, never play Reed and Bassey, but that's what you get. So you have to ask yourself, you know, when you see a player pick up two or three fouls and sit for eight or nine minutes, that's certainly not what analytics would suggest you do. And so you feel like the Sixers at times – or missing things that the Rockets used to do in terms of innovation. And you wonder, would another coach be more willing to have a back and forth? He also talked about it as it applies to trades. You know, he said, we could never have traded Clint Capella for Robert Cummington and gone all in on small ball in the bubble um, with another coach. And so are there certain trades that Daryl can't make because of his head coach? And Doc has not been shy pointing to personnel acquisitions that he had his stamp on and, Drummond and Niang and a few others. Yeah, no, I mean, I, th- I think that, that you hit on hit it on the head with the working with the front office. I also think that that lends itself to like your, your point about how bringing DeAndre in was not meant to 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 say like never play Paul. I think that that does in some ways corrode trust between the the president of basketball operations and the coach. If he, I hope so. <laughs> but it didn't sound like it at Maury's exit, although yeah. unless yeah. he wanted to ascribe emotion, he was like out of breath and sounded sad yeah um which i mean i don't i mean i i, I think it's probably different once you're in the mud with it to, to yeah to quote, to quote paul Reed. excellent job there <laughs> yeah yeah like, like it, it, it's different when you're in the trenches every day and and you, you put all the work in all season long and you believe in your product but it didn't take a mastermind to know that this team was not going to get past the Eastern Conference Finals, in my opinion. I, I, I they were not going. I don't think either of them or Miami was going to get to the NBA Finals. I think you think it was a battle to see who could lose to the winner of Boston and Milwaukee. So th- that Daryl was so emotional, um, um, you know, uh, or, or that Daryl was was giving the impression that he was emotional. I have my doubts. <laughs> I, you, mean, I, you think I, he was acting? 
I, I don't know that he was acting. I just don't know like what he was thinking. Mm. <laughs> like, like, you know, um, yeah, I, I, I just don't know. Um, well, well, what are you thinking? What are you wondering? Well, he's a smart guy. And I think he's a politician too. And I think Doc's a politician. And I think they have very smart PR staff who know how to <clears throat> present themselves publicly. And I think coming out and saying like, it's, we're sick to be here and, you know, to, 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 to give this sense of like, I'm so let down. This is a bummer. Like, I don't know what you thought their chances of getting past the Eastern conference finals were. And if they were that high, I think you need to reevaluate your method because I you mean the semifinals or making the finals. Like, yeah. Like, like, like getting to the finals, you know, and getting, getting out of the East. Yeah. Cause I, I think we all look at this team and we think, Harden's a question mark. Joel's injured. And they're not deep. And those are things that you cannot have in to, to get to the finals. And so if we all knew that, they should have known that. And you should have tempered your expectations. Like for me, it, it, it was if you can get to the conference finals, it's been a good year. Do you think they would have if they were all healthy? Yes. So maybe part of that is his disappointment. I don't know. Or the way, at least seeing how he probably had legitimate hopes after game four because Harden was playing really well. And Embiid looked at 65%. At least he could anchor the defense similar to the way he could in 2019. So maybe they got their hopes up there. I, I don't know. You know, I'm not going to say they weren't genuinely disappointed, but I feel you on uh, presenting it a certain way because you can't have been shocked. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I I think like last year when he was like teary eyed at the presser, um, you like know, all Sixers fans were. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I understood then because it was like you let a golden opportunity slip away, and it was like the most disastrous collapse you could ever. Oh, imagine. it was awful. Um, but like this year, I, I you didn't have to think too hard to understand like like where this team was going, at least in my eyes. And again, it's different when you're in the trenches and you work for the team every day, you're, you're, you believe in your product. But um, speaking of like the post, you know, the exit interviews yesterday and the post game quotes, um, there was some interesting commentary, you know, Howard asks doc about like, you know, his job security and Howard says, I think I do a wonderful job. Um, which of course Doc says that it, it would be a, the world's greatest upset if Doc didn't say that about himself, given what we all know about <laughs> Doc. Um, but the thing that I thought was super interesting um, was number one, like multiple players came out and said they weren't mentally tough enough, and Danny Green said they weren't mature enough yesterday. You don't, you, you don't typically see teams reflect right after a loss and say they weren't mentally tough enough, and that the other team was tougher than them. That's that that's not a common thing to hear uh in the immediate aftermath of of an of a playoff elimination um and i think the other thing that that caught my ear was like uh it was asked you know joel was asked about like his you know how the relationship with james can grow with a full off season and he said before, you know, we all knew he loved playing with Jimmy. He said, in the, whether he meant it is a different story, but he said, I love playing with Ben. He was very much like, we all have to get better when that question was asked. So it made me wonder, like, 
I wonder how he truly feels about the Harden experience because there was the reporting out there that he preferred Bradley Beal. And when Bradley Beal opted for season ending surgery, the pivot was to, was to James Harden. And so James was not Joel's first choice. Um, and they seem to get along together, you know, uh, in the regular season, James certainly got Joel some easy baskets and he took over some games. Um, but, uh, you know, there were times when like Joel was very clearly not getting any help and it may, you know, Joel is typically pretty honest and typically authentic in his responses, almost to a fault like we saw last year. Um, but it did not sit well with me and did not, I guess it, it perked up some ears when he, when he was like, we all have to get better when, 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 when asked about, you know, the relationship with James, did you sense that too, that he w- maybe wasn't totally invested and sold in the future with James? Yeah. I think Joel is, uh, you know, at times an emotional guy. And I think after that series, he probably felt all kinds of regret and remorse and disappointment and disappointment in others. He, he had the comments, look, he's, not Houston James and he needs to be more aggressive. And then he couches it, obviously saying we all do sometimes, which was similar. Obviously I had flashbacks to, I think the turning point was, but then of course we needed to hit the free throw. <laughs> it's just like, but don't worry, I'm, I'm evenly distributing my blame here and taking some for myself also. And then the other funny thing that people were pointing to was someone called him like the passive aggressive King when he said, you know, Daryl's done a great job bringing in Seth and Andre. it's like those are the guys you shipped out for James so if you were willing to read into that and saying he was disappointed with James you know playoff performance particularly those final two games I think it's totally fair it would make sense you gotta wonder like okay are you healthy if you're healthy then I'm really disappointed if you're not healthy then I'm bummed out but what could I do neither was I um and so I guess it depends on his perception of what version of James was feeling okay like why was he hiding in the corners for the entire second half and letting maxi play point guard that was pretty weird to me um if if you wanted to to run the bradley beal thing i think i could totally believe that that's his pure sweat you know guy that's brad's guy from st louis uh drew hanlon's guy from st louis and joel has worked out with him and tatum plenty of off seasons now so um if he lobbied for Beal and feels some buyer's remorse that it didn't work out in his favor, I don't blame him. Um, in, in a lot of ways, Beal could have been the better choice at the time, given his age uh, and lack of hamstring stuff. But moving forward, you can't be that mad. I mean, I would happily uh, happily take James over the Ben Simmons saga. And if James can follow that Chris Paul path, Chris Paul dealt with hamstrings for about two years. Um almost a two-year span, and now he's like a top seven or eight player. So if, if Harden could follow that path and get back to top 15 status, this team's going to be a championship contender. And Harden is a much better passer than Beal is, so there's a better fit if there's upside there. I, you know, I, I think 30-point-per-game 30, 30 scoring guards, um, by their nature, are going to make life easier for Joel because they're going to have gravity – uh, it's gonna, you know, you know, it's it's gonna make things easier for him to get open looks. It doesn't matter if the, if he if if 
he's getting open looks if one guard will not make that pass because that's not it. That just isn't his DNA, his nature. Whereas the other one will, and the other one is James Harden. So, you know, I, I think from Joel's perspective, maybe there's also a line of thought where like, sure, Beal is younger and maybe he has more explosion and can help care, so shoulder the load, but maybe the grass isn't always greener, you know? Yeah. I mean, Beal is a, pure catch and shoot player. So if Joel got it and kicked it out to him, that's a guy you can't leave to double uh, James. You can get back cause he needs to dribble it again, knowing that. So that negates a little bit of the edge you get in terms of Harden's passing. Uh, but the hamstrings, like I don't know of a, of a comp for hamstrings that have derailed a, a career from an MVP candidate to the extent we've seen so far with James. So I really hope he can, uh, he can get that fixed. Yeah, um, you know, I, I mean, the catch and shoot thing is 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 a good point. Like the that 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 does help, but I also think that you like you need someone that has point guard instincts, and um, and I you know I, I don't think Beal does, but I and I think Harden does. But I mean, you are right. The the fit is probably better. Um, but I also think that given Harden's skill set, you can become an adaptable shooter and you know work on that catch and shoot game. And I think Harden has to, and this time around probably will recognize like, hey, I'm I've proven nothing here that I'm the guy that 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 should be the number one. This is not my team. I don't want it to be my team. This is a this this guy is twenty eight and is MVP candidate. It's clearly his team. Um, I got to learn to play off him better, and maybe James will do that and will become a better and decide and, and put an effort to become a better catch and shoot guy. Um, but you know that is a decision they're going to have to weigh, and. I, I think that is a good segue into the Harden conversation about his next contract and what that looks like. Um, I asked James directly after game six, I, I, are you planning to opt in? And as I've learned, James likes to do, he likes to finish the, he likes to answer before you finish the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he was like, I'll be here. Uh, well, you know, I'll be here next year. So I guess that means opt in, uh, Daryl, he he wouldn't commit to what that contract would look like. Um, no, and so you know, Daryl wouldn't even commit. There's upside to unlike unleash. <laughs> yeah, that was also another thing that struck me yesterday. Um, but like the, he 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 would not, you know, James wouldn't commit to what that future looks like, and Daryl would not commit to what that future looks like. Daryl said. Yeah, Bontemps was like, but will you unlock some upside here? Yeah, yeah, it was not. I was thinking like Bontemps is not the right guy to like try to like try to like maneuver around the question. <laughs> he knows that he knows what you're doing, and he was like, and he re- and he reapplied the question. He was like, um, okay, but do you think there's more with Harden? Yeah, I forget and, who I read, but it was like multiple people were like, Daryl found a way to not answer that question. Yeah, no, and he found a way to skirt it like twice or three times, and so. 
And so with that, um, felt like, you know, it, it was pretty damning in that regard. So is he negotiating? Is he get, is he saving 20 million for the franchise? I wondered that. I wondered that. And my suspicion is with, uh, with the contract coming up, I w- my guess is that Harden gets somewhere north of a hundred million less than the max. So he he opts out, becomes an unrestricted free agent, knowing that the Sixers have this number in front of them, and that number is kind of like the Kyle Lowry deal. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, I I, mean, I, I think I think everyone knows he won't. I think everyone knows he won't um, get the full max and you would be insane to give it to him. Right. And so um, with that, I feel like, okay, what's the next best thing to do? And, you know, I, I, I think somewhere around 28 to 30 million per year for three or four years with some incentives and like with some protections, the Horford deal, we get to the finals, you get a, a 5 million bump. That's right. That's right. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, the fact that, like, D- James, you know, D- Daryl has given James credit before with making his career. And, like, you know, th- it was a gamble to get him from Oklahoma City because he was a sixth man of the year and he hadn't proven that he could be a number one guy. It was a risk. They traded assets. They gave him the contract. And he takes them from this mediocre team going nowhere into – a powerhouse in the West and Daryl, you know, wins executive of the year and he get, essentially gets Daryl on the map and just like Daryl believed in him and, you know, helped him become a superstar. It was a mutual two-way relationship. So that, so that, um, that Daryl would not commit to saying a, like James Harden, will be here long term and be that they believe they can get more out of Harden and get him to a higher level. That was pretty damning. And you hit the, the, the nail on the head. I wonder if there is some negotiation there. Cause I think, I, I think it's no question. Like I said, that he's not getting the, 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 the super max or, you know, the, the maximum amount he can get. I think the question is how do they negotiate, negotiate that? And, <clears throat> What you know? What does that discount look like? And I mean, Harden said he'll he's willing to take a discount to help the team get better. It's another thing to actually sign that piece of paper and commit to that, uh, commit to those words. So we'll see what that all looks like. But um, very interesting the way that they worded it. Um, do you think that even if he had said, "Yes, I believe that we can get Harden back. We can, we can get James back to where he was or to a better version of himself." Does that make James's case for a max any better? I don't know that it makes it any better. I mean, if the Sixers are proclaiming to have the resources to make James a better player again, I don't know that he has leverage in saying um, that makes me more worthy of a max. Because in the end of the day, you're paid for what you've done and not what you're going to do. Right. I think for for starters, I think it's possible – similar to the decision whether or not to retain Doc Rivers, I think it's possible that management ownership will simply have a say. If Daryl wanted to give him 
$250 million, it's possible that ownership would just say, go F yourself. Like we, we watched, I don't want to pay for that. That's too much. I'm going to get made fun of. We might even fire you long before then and still be paying him. So no, figure something else out. And Daryl's no is working with knowing that it's also possible that, yeah, like you said, he's simply negotiating Harden's best case depends on convincing them. I'm not right. If I was, I would be a top 12 player and I can, I can get that. I didn't really understand the severity of this issue last summer. I took most time off so that when I returned, I didn't have my conditioning and I thought I'd be fine. But what I need to do is do what, what, what was the guy's name? The Sixers athletic guy who's Simon Rice. Yeah. Simon Rice is going to do is go the other way and he's going to push me all summer long doing sprints. You know, maybe I'll, further commit to my diet and I won't do my normal off season of pickup basket, light pickup, you know, uh, sky gym run with CJ McCollum. Won't do as much of that. I'll do more, uh, you know, focusing on this. That's going to make me this type of player. So either I opt in and then I think six months later you could extend me through four year deal or um, you give me a, a deal baking in the fact that I might do that right now. And for from Harden's perspective, I'll be here as, I will opt out of this thing and sign a long-term deal. If you have one, I like, I won't, if you don't. Yeah. I'll I'll opt in and stay for one year. Do you think that, do you think that Harden's next contract will pay him more across two years than Harden will get by opting in next year? I think that's a very fascinating question. Wait, wait, can you say that? Like I'm dumber. (laughs) Do you think, Dave, there's no one smarter than Dave really. I, I know. I just have to see this in writing to get it. <laughs> so do you think there's a chance that across the first two years of Harden's next long-term deal, uh-huh. do you think there's a better chance that that contract across two years equals or surpasses what Harden will make on the opt-in? In other words, yeah, I get it. So if he opts in right now, he gets 40-something million. 47, 48 million. Plus X. We don't know what X is yet. Yeah. Or he opts out and they restructure it and they give him 35 million over a certain number of years. Or less, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that the number would be higher with the opt-in because the initial number is so high. Yeah. I don't... I, I think he's played so pedestrian like that it would be very hard for me to see a scenario where he's making where across two years of his next long-term deal, whether it's at the Sixers or elsewhere, whether he that, that, that he's making combined 48 million across the first two years of, of that deal. That 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 number is so inflated on the opt-in and is so much bigger than what he's proven that. I think you I think right now he grades below a thirty million dollar per year player pretty 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 handily. Comfortably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. you read some of Jake Fisher's stuff, Bleacher Report, talking about the scuttlebutt and smoke that he could take less. Um, and then he even linked that to like Bradley Beal. So in some of those scenarios, it's kind of like what Tom Brady has been doing. You you restructure the back end, so I make much less in 2022, 2023 but you give me a number long-term that I'm comfortable with. I don't mind doing that. That would be Daryl Morey's dream. Like you get Bradley Beal or Zach Levine to say, I want to be here. You find some 
dumping grounds for Tobias Harris. You get, you get James comfortable on a number that's not too high next year so you can fit it all in. Um, I mean, that would be the Sixers' dream. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't think it's that far-fetched. And the reason I don't think it's that far-fetched is six, eight months ago, did anyone think James Harden was going to be a Sixer? Right. No. <laughs> They've already done the unthinkable. Yeah. Just like so out yet. Now, nothing really would surprise me. Um, would you include uh, Tyrese Maxey if it meant landing Bradley Beal? Like Harris and Maxey? I'm actually ha- actively ha- ha- arguing with this guy on Twitter about what's your, what's your side? My side is you absolutely don't do that deal. Don't you, do it. You, you, you just can't. I mean, I, I, I can't pretend to know that or I can't pretend to, to have any kind of def- definition in what uh, Maxie's ceiling or upside is, but I'm also, I don't think anyone's to say what he can or can't do five years from now. And maybe he's a 23, 24 points per game score, whatever the case, but beyond that, he's projecting to be an all-star on a rookie deal with the 21st pick slot. So you're not paying him a ton. You're, you know, you're, he, he's part of your core and Beal is getting older and, you know, has plateaued some in, in, in the last year or so. Oh, let me play devil's advocate and say, you might be completely right about five years, but you got Joel Embiid, And so you want to win the title by the time he's 30. And so you should be front-loading your – you should be waiting this to the first two years of this deal. Does a trio of Beal, Harden, and Joel make more sense for Joel's timeline than a – I mean, you're also offloading Tobias in this, you know, purportedly because you'd have to to make the money work. So it would be Beal and, like, a MLE. And then who knows, maybe you tip the buyout market and vet min signing – market in your favor because they want to be part of this, you know, quote unquote super team with Beal, Harden and Embiid. And they want, now you get some guys to join you for cheap. Yeah. I mean, I still probably wouldn't do it. Cause I think this team has sold te- uh, players like in trades before and it's bitten them in, in the backside. So maybe I'm, maybe the past has influenced the way I think about it, but I just think like they have to start valuing cost-effective young talent, and Tyrese Maxey is at the core of that. And I think he is even. Let's say two, three years from now, we come to the conclusion: look, it's just not going to happen with Joel. Maxey is the bridge to the next era and the pivot point, and is part. I think more. I think Daryl Morey would be far more aggressive than that. I don't think he's thinking post Joel Embiid right now. I think. He's just figuring out a way to, to get a ring in the next two or three years. Yeah. And I mean, so it sounds like you would do the deal. You'd be able. I, I don't know. I, I could be convinced either way, to be honest. I think Harris showed enough in the Raptor series that Harris plus Maxi next year might well be better than Beal and a min, a min, a vet min signing. Um, but on the other hand, I, I think I am close enough that I'm able to be persuaded here um, both directions. So, Maybe I would just ask Joel, what do you want? He would say, I don't want to be a part of that decision. <laughs> he is not. Or he would it. say, I love Bradley. He's my guy from Drew Hanlon. And, 
maybe Hamlin can begin to recruit Zach Levine and Shemi Ojale and Hero. that's that's another one. Pure what, Philly. What if it's not Bradley Beal? What if it's Zach Levine? Zach Levine is coming off knee surgery. I don't think the value is there. I mean, there's a non-zero chance that Tobias Harris is straight up the better player than Zach Levine next year, and that's pretty wild to acknowledge. But you know, he's had it. He's torn a wild fall from grace. Wow. I'm just saying non-zero, and it's because of the multiple knee surgeries. Okay, it's fair. I so think no. I, I think for the sake of continuity, which is something that Joel has never really had in his career, I think. I'm inclined, and for the other reasons I just mentioned, I'm inclined to say you keep Maxi, and you know if 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 Maxi is the cost for getting Beal, then I would probably decline the trade. Um, I also think if you're if you're able to persuade uh, Bradley Beal to ask out of Washington, you don't you you have leverage in that he the, the Wizards don't have much to stand on in terms of demands. Yeah, unless uh, unless Miami gets in there, you know, some other team starts I actually, with him. I actually heard that um, Donovan Mitchell wants to go wants to go to Miami. Well, who doesn't? I mean, players yeah. love Miami. <laughs> you have a smart organization in a top. There's my sources right there. Just <laughs> breaking news. <laughs> yeah, Mitchell and Beal, and at one point Jalen Brown were all connected to Miami. You got to take Brown off the board with the Celtics' success and you know, likelihood that they end up in the finals right now. So the other two should be uh, some ones to watch. Do you think that Joel would request a trade and request a trade to Miami? Uh, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, especially like if you told me he was going to do it, I know it would come in the next three days. And I think Daryl would just laugh at him and be like, sorry, man. <laughs> There's, I mean, if they offered us Bam and Hero, we still might say no. You were the MVP. We just can't do it. Not as a favor. We can't do favors. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think Joel's at the stage of his career where you can just do him a favor and get him a chance at a ring. Like he's only 28. No. Um, I think ownership would say after Ben Simmons, you think we're going to honor that? You have to hold out and pull pull what he did to, to make us even consider it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also, I, I also just think that he's I, – I, everything he said indicates that he's like Dame. In that he's loyal to the city, and you know he he, he win or lose, he envisions himself staying here and being the face of the city, which is one thing to say, another thing to actually do and remain committed. But I also don't think that he's old enough yet where it's like, hey, it's two two year timeline. I gotta win something, get me out. I think he, I think he's still twenty eight, you know. Um, but if he does request trade to Miami. That would be the ultimate gut punch. <laughs> I think if he did, I mean, it wouldn't shock me. Like, if he did it, like, can I just go to Jimmy? Like, I, I miss Jimmy. I know we would win championships. Um, we would never hear about it, and it would never happen. Yeah, try true. Try true. Um, speaking of trades, um, Daryl basically assures everybody that uh, Doc will be back. And since then, there's been Woj report and then a counter Woj report with Chris Haynes. Um, 
saying that they're going to meet with their with Doc to discuss the future, and then they're not going to meet with Doc to discuss the future. Um, which makes me wonder: is in because they don't they don't know what their picks are like for the near future? Is Doc try, or is Daryl trying to find a way to get Doc traded to LA to wrangle and, picks out of the Lakers? You get a pick back, and then use that pick to in in a trade to get another guy. I mean, I think he would love that. I but I don't know that he's trying for that. I mean, putting putting yourself in a position where there's a an outside chance, maybe he might know that ownership is simply not going to just eat the twenty four million dollar guarantee Doc still owed. But if the Lakers could come and offer six, and Doc wanted it. And the Lakers would give you like a second round pick. That would be a dream scenario for Daryl for sure. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's 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 a thought that's in my head. We'll see. It, it's it, it sends some alarms off in my head when uh, you have Woj say they're going to meet this week, and then you have Chris Haynes like two hours later say they're actually not going to meet this week. That sounds like jockeying for positioning to me. So it could be. Also, I wonder why would you if you had a leak that you wanted to make and you wanted it out there why would you pick chris haynes who just gave a sideline report basically calling joel a wimp in game five remember that he was like well he wasn't talking to anyone yeah, that was, he was kind that of was, hoping that was you hard. have to wonder if he's simply just sad about the mvp he wouldn't be high on my list of reporters to reward after like basically just calling your franchise player a wuss yeah it's a good point it's a great point um We'll say there. I, I I think you just can't fire Doc because he didn't have Joel for the first two games of the series and all of the turnover with the roster and stuff like that. But there are also reasons that you know we've already discussed. I, I think that people like tend to think if they had not if they if he hadn't played DeAndre and they play Paul Reed instead, perhaps they win a couple of those games they lost by four points, like the. Uh, if- if you have, I mean, you could make the same argument for keeping Dwayne Casey in Toronto. He didn't deserve to be fired either, but yeah. they fired the coach of the year. If you could go back in time and find another coach who was willing to not play DeAndre in February, did they win those games they lost? Did they beat the Nuggets? Did they beat, you know, the, the Bucks? Does Joel win an MVP? Did they have the one or the two seed? And all of those things were actually in play here. But the same token that doesn't necessarily change your environment in the East. And maybe you're the one seed playing the four seed in the second round. And and, and maybe that is still the Miami heat. Maybe they still beat you or. Yeah, but maybe Joel didn't go through Siakam and uh, who, yeah. who was the one at Birch who tore his thumb. Yeah. Or, or maybe they play the Celtics and that's an, a very difficult matchup in round two. And, Maybe they they play the Bucks instead. I I, I think my, my point in this is that I don't know that there was a lurking easier matchup around the corner or an easier scenario. I actually think they they if they did avoid all the DeAndre stuff, they could have gotten the two seed. I think that was right there for them. And then I think they would have had that choice that the Bucks had: do we keep the two seed or do we tank it and get the three seed and foist Brooklyn upon the Celtics? And I don't know what the, the Sixers would have done there. I think maybe they would have kept the two seed and probably beaten the Nets, but it would have been a tough series. Yeah, maybe. Um, off-season outlook real quickly. 
uh, and I guess this is a good time to discuss Danny Green. Brutal for Danny Green. Um, Heartbreaking. Yeah, he tears the ACL, tears the LCL um, in a play where I thought I, – I don't remember exactly like the sequence of events. It, it, I feel like Joel got tripped, but he also might have just tripped on himself and fell. But he, was, way, he was behind the backboard because Bam cut off his angle to drive, and then he had to push off his left leg to get back under the rim for the layup, and that sent him falling. I don't think it was a flop. I don't think it was – a clumsy play. I think it was pushing off to get back in bounds for the angle on the hoop. Yeah. And I think Danny was looking up instead of you, when you saw the rest of the game play out and Joel fell 39 times, you saw him almost, almost take out Tobias later in the game. You realize maybe he shouldn't have been out there at all. I don't know if it's the mask changes his proprioception or balance or whatever, but he was falling a lot and it was a scary game to watch. Yeah, but for yeah. sure. Um, but Danny goes out uh, with, with, with the knee injury, was writhing in pain, and then they carried to the locker room, tears the ACL, LCL. Um, they have a $10 million option on him, I guess you could say, um, that is, I believe is up July 1st, I think is the date. And I'm assuming for the sake of mid-level exception uh, purposes, they'll probably wave him and that would end his tenure as a player yep. with the team. Um, he'll be 36 by the next, ostensibly be 36 by the time he steps on the court again uh, as a player. And in which case, I think at that point you have to wonder, maybe the, the shot probably won't leave him, but the defensive viability certainly may, given that it's a lo- it's an extreme leg injury. Will um, he be an effective player in his first year back from this injury, whenever that is? All questions that make it seem like that was his last days in the uniform. Well, for the net in the NBA, maybe 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 those are his last days in the NBA, awesome. um, which is brutal. You know, he wasn't expecting it to be his last corner three, and it turns out it very well may be. Um, he was he was great for this team. And yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think, um, you know, people give him enough credit. I mean, he had like a three-point rate of like 85, 86, 87, and a, a upper 30s, lower 40s percent three-point shooter. So super efficient shooter. Um, also was one of the only guys who wouldn't think before he shot, just would just shoot and let it go. Um, also a very – he was their silent coach on the court. And, yeah. you know, you could tell as soon as he went down that they were all – shaken emotionally and the heat were prepared to give that game away. I mean, in early in the third quarter, they were shooting bricks, the six, but the Sixers were not getting good shots or they were turning the ball over and they, they just couldn't make up any ground. And you felt like those were moments where you would, where Danny green, uh, you know, an open three and transition would have turned, but it would have shaken the game up a little bit. So just not having him, I, I, I think really hurt them in game six. And, I don't think fans uh, like Green because of his up and down play and because of some of his comments. Yeah, they didn't like Covington for his streaky shooting either. But man, do they miss him? Yeah, um, but I, I think there's no denying if you, if you're a, if you're going to be a, a fair uh, judge of 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 the player and of the team, there's no question to me that Danny Green was super valuable to this team and super valuable. Um, and I. Uh, you know, the, if the NBA want, and the Sixers can do right by him, 
let him use the practice facility rehab and, you know, maybe they use him as a coach um, in, in some regard. I don't know that the CBA will allow that, but um, just keeping him around, I think will be valuable. And then maybe as a sign of goodwill when he's recovered, if, if he can play, maybe there's a deal there to be made. Um, but I think in all likelihood, this probably ends his tenure with the Sixers as a player and maybe even his career. Yeah. So that's brutal. Um, but the Sixers are not going to have that many resources in free agency. Like you have to worry about the Harden contract. We discussed that. Um, my guess is he probably opts in and then they agree on like an extension. I just don't think there's a world where he's going to get nearly as much money across multiple years of his next deal as he gets in the opt-in. So I think it makes a lot of sense for him to opt in and then they work on a, uh, an extension from there. But Do you think that it could lead to any um, bad blood because like purportedly they offered him something more than they, you know, to get him to leave the nets probably had to do all kinds of red carpet stuff. Jake Fisher was intimating that the nets are still not happy about all the things that they likely promised James, even beyond a max contract, like, you know, in terms of perks. What were the perks? He didn't talk about anything specifically, but they went back and said like, people don't believe that all Kawhi Leonard got from the Clippers was a max deal and stuff like that. People think does happen. Stuff like that happens. Um, His co-host, I forget her name, but she went on to talk about how there was an expose, maybe from Howard Megdal or someone who wrote about all of the things you get if you're a Brooklyn net hotels, access to condos. And then that article like disappeared. And so the, the gist was basically stuff like this does happen. Um, Donovan Mitchell had some like lobbying say for where they held training camp and other things like airplanes access. And so if the Knicks were to get a guy like Mitchell, it would, people would wonder, like they would narrow their eyes at like all the things that his former agent, and all of those CAA connections in the front office have offered Donovan Mitchell to lure him there. Um, and some Nets people, if you got them a beer, he mentioned, basically would say like, they didn't love the way it all shook out with um, Harden. Do you know, um, do you ever hear the story of, of Andre Kirilenko? Uh, AK, this your initials, brother, right? AK 47. Yeah. No, I, I don't remember. So back when the Sixers waved him because they were tanking, and he signed with the, he was like one of the considered one of the premier buyout guys. And they were like, I don't even know if he's going to get the veteran minimum. He's probably worth more than the veteran minimum. And yet he signed with the Nets for a very small deal. And in the Proker off days, right? Yes, that's correct. And they were like, why did he take such less money for this team? Like, like, you know, this is not one of the teams that we're sure is going to win a title. Um, this doesn't make much sense. Did he get a, a mansion in Moscow or something? Very shortly after <laughs> he signs the deal, ads for Prokhorov's vodka brand ah. featuring Andrei Kirilenko starts popping up all over Russia. Ah. <laughs> and that was basically, I think, obviously part of the guarantee of, yeah. of, of signing. So maybe there's bl- bad blood. I, I can't pretend to know that. I, I can't pretend to, to say that I, I, I know the details of what was promised or was not promised to James. Um, but they're, I guess, in theory, going to have the non-tax mid-level if they waive Danny. Um, 
I think the, and Daryl like was very cautious to not give up any kind of info as to what they are looking for. Wait, non-tax? Does that mean they're not going to be a luxury tax team? I think if they waive Danny, they have access to the non-tax mid-level. Oh man, yeah. Um, I, I I will say how this: could you pay, How could you pay Joel a supermax, Tobias, James Harden, and not wind up in the luxury tax? It's going to be really close, right? I think it'd be close, but according to Brian Deporek, uh, they are not going to be. I, from what he told me, they are not. They they would. He thinks they would be eligible for a non-tax mid-level exception if they waive Danny. If they don't waive Danny, they would get, be the tax mid-level. Oh wow! Okay. Um, but the six Joel Embiid and and the team, or and Doc and you know Daryl, that Joel said we were not mentally tough enough. Uh, we you know we we need more people who are like PJ Tucker, and uh, yesterday Doc and basically said we need we needed more of what the Heat had. Um, PJ Tucker loves corner threes. He is a very very good rebounder and killed the Sixers on the offensive glass on the defensive glass um, in this series, and he's just very tough. I wonder if they were telegraphing that they were like, "We're going to go for Peter Tucker this summer as one of our free agent guys." He's certainly on my list of of, of, the, of the the small uh, you know uh, tentative list that I made for free agent signings. Um, I think. By and large, what they need is athleticism on the wings and guys that are six, seven, and bigger and athletic and, you know, uh, willing three point shooters, not necessarily great three point shooters, but willing three point shooters. Um, and that kind of goes against what Tucker is, but I think he is that champion of toughness and, uh, you know, the, 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 the non box score plays that the Sixers do need. I, I love PJ Tucker. I've loved him. There's a million synergies because of Daryl Morey, you know, plucking him from Toronto. If you can get him, great. I mean, the, the non tax is pretty big. I think it's like nine million plus, right? Yeah, I think PJ has like an option for like four and a half. I want to say. Um, let me just double check. Seven point one five, maybe. I, according to spot, spell track, I, I the number. So it's like seven point seven point three five player option um, for twenty twenty for, for for this summer. So you might need to give him almost the whole thing, um, but you but there's the state luxury tax, so the money being even doesn't really help you necessarily unless he wants to change. But I, yeah. if I were him, I wouldn't necessarily want to change. No, I mean um, neither would I. He, he very very well may opt in. At the same time, if we're going to sit here and say like. You know, there's collusion in the NBA, and there's things that are promised beyond what, are, what, what, what is allowed or what is publicly out there. I would think that if Daryl and James say, "Hey, we need James Harden," and, or we need a, we, we need PJ Tucker, and if Joel says we need a guy like PJ Tucker, they're probably going to make some calls, PJ Tucker. I, I assume that Pat Riley is the master of that. I once heard that, like, he he like played a flute and a guy from Gucci showed up with like a box of belts for you to choose from. And <laughs> I did hear that story. It was crazy. Yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. That's a crazy story. There's like legends of Pat Riley charming you and, you know, dropping his bucket of rings on the table and taking you to his yacht. So 
you, it's hard to pull guys out of that town. I mean, they were able to pull him off of a championship team in Milwaukee, right? So, yeah. What What do you think are their biggest needs in free agency? Guys like PJ Tucker, guys like Pat Beverly, guys who can play both ends of the floor, guys who can hit a three. You know, PJ Tucker got a million offensive rebounds and and defensive rebounds and loose balls that Tobias Harris wasn't getting. So he he's got a knack for that stuff. Pat Beverly, if he can hit wide open corner threes and just hound your player, the the Jimmy Bam Tucker trio of ability to switch was lethal for them. I mean, they found Victor Oladipo and got what they used to do in the old old Heat days to get like a guy who used to be a per, a good scorer and got him to play like his best defense of his career. They used to get like Dan Marley and Jamal Mashburn and even Tim Hardaway to become like hard-nosed defensive players in their tail years. They're, they're good at that somehow. There was this heat culture that existed before they just found Dwayne Wade and LeBron and heat culture became meaningless. But um, yeah, guys who could play both ends of the floor, like a guy like Bruce Brown would be good. Yeah. Bruce Brown would be a, a really, a really good option. Um, Pat Bev is a good one. I thought Pat Bev was, was, was a, yeah. Yeah. I thought Pat Bev was, was, was signed an extension. Turns out his one year in Minnesota was the extension, and this year he is a free agent. He sounded so like that, he was campaigning to join Philly the other day, didn't he? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe you're. Might, I tell you what, he would be a great fit with the Sixers. <laughs> the, 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 the fans would love PJ Tucker. Oh, yeah. Absolutely love PJ Tucker. Um, so, or not, not PJ Tucker, uh, Patrick Beverly. Nick Batum um, would be a good fit. Um, yeah. I, I just think they need players that are like going to get in their faces and challenge them to be better in, yeah. in, 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 in the moment. Um, there was, uh, uh, you know, I, I think another thing that they need to consider and I, and you know, this was, this was on my mind yesterday um, with, with, with Daryl. Um, they bring in Dwight last year. They bring in DeAndre this year. Um, they've, very much leaned into veterans that are just not positive players for the most part anymore. And it's time, I think, to get younger and lean on younger players and live, let them make mistakes um, for the sake of betting on athleticism and, you know, their sheer raw desire to, 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 to make it in the NBA. Um, guys like Paul Reed, obviously, I'm talking about there, but I th I feel like they've leaned towards aging guys, and it's hurt them more than it's helped them, and it's also cost them looks at guys that are young. And I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I'd like them to, uh, you know, like if they could land a guy like Lou Dort or something, that would be really really exciting. Um, there's a there's a few guys out there like but then there's also the Wes Matthews who you would look at for a, a vet man for sure, um, yeah. but the, you know he had a terrible game in the last one but I think Grayson Allen was a good signing by the Bucks just as as a guy who might be able to come in and get hot for you hit a million threes and at least in the regular season, um, they found Pat Connaughton for cheap so a little bit younger than some of these old guys could be the way to go there taking a bet on a guy with your uh, I'm pretty sure you can divvy up that MLE, so you could use yeah. you know four million on one guy, four million on another, and then you could reserve two million in space to go into the trade deadline with. 
you could take on a little more than you give out. It's funny you mentioned a couple of those guys because this is my short list for free agency, and I'll read these are this is the tentative list. I'll read it to you. Pat Connaughton, top of the board. <laughs> uh, Kelgen Blevins found him. Uh, I I went by guys who uh, where they ranked in terms of three point attempts per minute because I suspect Adara likes per minute stats. Yeah, I thought maybe they found Niang that way. Yeah, um, PJ Tucker, Otto Porter Jr., Wes Matthews. Damian Lee, Jeff Green, and Kyle Anderson. Jeff Green's obviously the oldest guy there. Peter Tucker is obviously old, and we just said we want to get younger. Um, but Jeff Green is also aged quite well, I think. And uh, I, like, those are all guys that like they shoot they they shoot the ball fairly well, um, and they can dribble. I mean, Kyle Anderson can dribble a little bit and navigate a pick and roll, but. They're just rangy wing defenders that shoot. And I think that's really what they need more so than anything else. And I think Doc even said that Paul Reed, they, they, they have a role for him next year. And I think he proved that he's worth a role. Yeah, I like your list. Uh, you know, if you could find one of those guys and you could get him to shoot. The problem is for the Sixers, they don't become better shooters when they get here. That's pretty rare. So if you've got a guy like <laughs> Kyle Anderson – who shoots 33% in Memphis, I wouldn't expect much better than that once he was here. Yeah, make it down down 23%. Yeah. (laughs) That's a sixer discount. Um, Dave Early, any last uh, predictions? Predictions? Um, I guess I'll predict that the Harden opts in. Looking at it like he's going to get more money on this initial year and then whatever he can come up with from the Sixers in six months or more. Um, maybe he bets on himself to a degree there that he could prove that he is closer to a max guy. Um, if he doesn't, that's a little scary, isn't it? That it's like, well, the Sixers offered me a Kyle Lowry deal and I wanted it. That's less than half of what I originally wanted and I'm willing to take it. Maybe he's, that means he's feeling like it's a little tightness in that hammy most of the summer. Um, what other predictions? I guess I think that they'll try to come up with a team-friendly extension for Matisse Thibel. They're eligible to do that if they could get him on um, a contract that's team-friendly and tradable. That could be a valuable chip for them. If they're not, if they don't have Danny Green, then they won't have a guy who makes around ten million bucks. And then if someone like a Robert Covington were suddenly available. You couldn't get them, but if you had Thibault on seven, eight, nine million dollars, maybe you could. Yeah, and I think Covington just signed an extension for two years, twenty-four mil, with the Clippers. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I originally thought Thibault was going to be like twelve to fifteen million dollar per year player, and then the playoffs happened, and now I'm down to like eight million per year, maybe. Per yeah, year. maybe he would take a two a two years. 16 million dollar deal i don't know if he did that i think that would be valuable to the team yeah um wanted to play i'm gonna i'm gonna let you play a new game show that i've come up with it's called can james harden beat this thing off the dribble i'm gonna give i'm gonna give you different objects some inanimate some are going to be people with objects it is your decision to decide whether he can beat that off the dribble. You cannot lose the game. You can only win the game. Um, yeah. So first object, a 
adult an adult human being on a tricycle. All right, I want to I want to caveat this game. James Harden can often get by his initial defender. Okay. Like you know, they get a switch and Old Depot or Harrow's on him. He's going by, but then what we saw time after time was it even with that advantage, it didn't kind of matter because someone rotated to help and blocked him or took it from him. So it's like he can get by this first guy, but then what if this object was the help defender? Could he score over it? You're complicating my game, Dave. You're making very you're making it <laughs> you're making it way too complicated. I agree with you though. I do agree. It was often the help defender, and that's more a product of the spacing around the player than it is the player himself. But there were also times when he had straight one-on-ones and would not take them. What, so, what if he gets by Tyler Hero, and then you come with two of those very large hands fans wear to distract free throw shooters, and okay. just and just held that up in the restricted area? Could he finish over you with the floater? I'm inclined to say yes. And what if you flopped to take a charge? Would the whistle go against him? Yes, it would. Right? Wasn't he like he had this reputation as a guy who gets calls? And then what we saw was like a guy who couldn't get one. No, I mean, I I, I totally agree. I I, I think his shooting percentage took a lot of hits and his turnover took a lot of hits because he – was feeling contact and was not getting the benefit of the call because defenses were keying on his reputation for getting calls and they were using it against him by flopping for charges. Yeah. I think a lot of the officials were like, you got me so many times in your prime that I'm going to get you now that you're not that good. Yeah. But still the game stands. So Dave early could James Harden beat a, an adult human being on a tricycle. Yes. Okay. Could James Harden beat a drunk forklift driver who is driving the forklift? Ooh, I'm thinking flagrant foul here, so no. Okay. So you're thinking that the forklift arms impale or inhibit James in some way? Yeah, he's going to take a big blow here, and he's going to get called for a charge. Okay. Could James Harden, this is the last one for you. Could James Harden beat a runaway, so falling, going down a hill, a runaway Civil War era cannon off the dribble? So the cannon is moving around in front of him as if it's falling down a hill. It is a heavy cannon, <laughs> a heavy. A heavy, inanimate object. Could he beat that off the dribble if it is moving in front of him? Could he beat off the dribble? No, but I think he would. He would opt for the step back and then draw a landing zone violation for three free throws. That would be very painful. That that if that cannon is coming at you and it hits you in the leg as you're coming down, that's a very that that may be a catastrophic injury right there. He he kicks the legs out in a way where he lands on his butt. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Dave, where can they find you? At David Early on Twitter, and I write for Liberty Ballers covering the Sixers. And you still with the clutch points for the Nets, or? Well, I, I went all exclusive Sixers for the uh, for the Sixers final. Nets are eliminated. Sixers are still in push. Got it. All right, Dave Early. Thanks so much for hopping on and hopping on with me today, my friend. 
Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciated your coverage throughout this season, and uh, you're great to have on the beat and keep hammering. No problem. I appreciate you. I'll catch you later. Yeah. Stepping back and stroking to Bogdanovich, thinking about a three. There it is. Yes! Get it in. No double team help, and Embiid takes it right to the rack.